Hello, and a warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. Today we are hosting another discussion with two of our sector champions as part of our work with the UK Ministry of Justice and the UK Africa Legal Services Spring Conference, which is taking place on the 22nd of April. Now, to register for this must-attend event, simply follow the link in the podcast description. Now, in alignment with the event's key themes, we are working with pairs of leading lawyers from the UK and African law firms to explore the most pressing issues affecting the most vibrant of sectors where the UK and African markets most commonly interact. Now, these sectors are international trade, telecoms, media and technology, or TMT, extractives and financial services. And today I am thrilled to be joined by our sector champions focusing on financial services. These being Kareem Anjawala of ALN Kenya, Anjawala and Kana, and Titus Adua of Watson, Farley and Williams. A bit of background on our, on our co-sector champions then. Kareem Anjawala is the managing partner of ALN Kenya, Anjawala and Kana, which is generally considered the leading corporate law firm in Kenya and is the largest full-service corporate law firm in East Africa. Kareem is considered one of the country's leading corporate M&A practitioners and is also recognised for his Africa-wide cross-border work. He has a wide array of experience advising domestic, regional and international clients on mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, private equity investments, and capital markets transactions. And on to Titus. Titus is a partner in the Projects Group at Watson, Farley & Williams. His practice focuses on finance, corporate and commercial transactions in emerging markets, in particular in the infrastructure, energy, and natural resources sectors. Titus acts for clients across the supply chain in these areas and has extensive experience representing project sponsors, lenders, DFIs, commercial banks and ECAs, and governments or state agencies. Titus is particularly well known for his work advising on Africa-related transactions, both in civil and common law jurisdictions, where he has advised on several projects and financing transactions across the continent. So without further ado, gents, let's dive into some questions. And my first one is for you, Titus. Let's begin with some overarching context here. What are you seeing as the key areas or jurisdictions of interest from your multinational clients in relation to the African financial services sector? You know, what's what's hot property right now? Thank you very much, uh, Thomas, for having me. Now, in terms of the financial services sector, I would say that the overarching theme has been the rainback on lending by from China to, to Africa and the subject lending overall that is from non-Chinese banks. The subject lending is, is a direct result of the, the pandemic, but the the cutback from China actually predates the, the, the pandemic. Um, and this was caused by concerns over or concerns about the sustainability of rising debt levels on the continent. So this would be the overarching theme. Now that is not to say that lending doesn't continue. Um, Chinese banks are still lending, and they're still lending in the billions. However. I think the key difference now is that those loans are 
mainly commercial commercially driven in terms of the sectors of interest it is hard to say um obviously a lot of government borrowing is pandemic related whether from private or from whether from commercial banks or from public sources it's kind of geared towards the pandemic or things to do with the pandemic but we have also seen interest but from debt and equity but certainly from from that um, in the financing of infrastructure especially the ports so whether they're shipyards or ports greenfield brownfields port expansions or industrial zone the financing of industrial zone so we're seeing continued interest in that certainly by the african banks themselves since we're talking about the uh, financial services sector we need to talk a little bit about the insurance sector as you know in most countries in africa that the sector is still at a relatively early stage of development and is characterized by lower rates of penetration both in the life and non-life products and what this does is creates an opportunity an opportunity for future growth mid-term to future growth so that has now resulted in heightened interest by the key players whether they're national or regional or international so we're seeing the regional champion stepping up picking up more assets we're seeing the insurance majors getting into the mix trying to step up um prudential has been very active looking at assets around the continent and um, axa and other guys are all there seeing making sure they they, they maybe keep their their share of the market or increase their share of the market and um i think the consensus the generally is that that is a sector or a subsector that can only grow and the pandemic might just hold things a little bit but in the mid to long term it, it can only grow and that's driving the interest in that sector and it's obvious that for some of the insurance majors they'll be trying to replicate this a model that he used in places like asia or other regions of the world in africa they may have made the decision that africa is now right to go in and start nurturing and help in the development of the market and take advantage of when the market matures you're already there or you have been there for a considerable amount of time the last segment of the financial services sector i should talk about is um asset management and, and this is a bit of a mixed bag because um in some countries in certain countries in africa it's kind of buoyant and they continue to attract international players in others less so um, you have a relatively small number of investors and the result for that will be um the the poor savings culture which does not kind of encourage investors to come in i think one thing that we need to have we need to say certainly in the asset management subsector is they they need to be 
some kind of regulation revamp. So needs, attention needs to be paid to the regulations. Um, if nothing else, you kind of ease them to, to ease the restrictions rather and, and allow for for the sector, for the subsector to grow. So all in all, the, the financial services sector has had to suffer the effects of the pandemic, but all is not doom and gloom. And in some of the sectors are actually holding on and pushing hard, others are feeling the effects and we will know for how long the headwinds of the pandemic will continue to impact lending generally. Thank you so much for that insight, Titus. I think plenty of food for thought there. And if I might pivot over to you now, Karim. Uh, Likewise, we've already talked with you on Africa Legal via an interview about the key trends we're seeing in African M&A currently. So what is happening in relation to growth and development in the African financial services sector and in this sector's interaction and facilitation of M&A into other industries? Thanks very much. Um, look, I think there are five points I'd, I'd make in relation to your question. Uh, the first is that you're seeing a lot of inter-country co- consolidation where sub-sized banks and financial institutions, insurance companies are, are merging or, or some are taking over others. Uh, this had happened pre-COVID, but, but post-COVID, uh, I expect it to be much more accelerated because of the pressures on capital uh, and liquidity. The second point is that the last several years have seen a withdrawal of global banking players with on-the-ground banking presences in Africa. I don't expect that trend to change, but you are seeing African giants emerging, principally from Morocco, South Africa, Nigeria, and Kenya, quickly assembling uh, footprints across Africa in the banking space. Uh, The third point uh, worth making is that insurance is very, very different from banking. So whilst in banking, you've seen a withdrawal of global players in insurance, it's quite the opposite. Uh, You've had any number of global players taking over local champions, uh, whether it's people like Prudential, Allianz, AXA, um, investments by the likes of Swiss Re, all of these reflect Uh, more engagement by uh, large foreign insurers in the African insurance market, mainly because I think it's correctly seen as a very underinsured market in which there is a lot of room uh, for for growth. Uh, The fourth trend is uh, in relation to banking groups taking over insurance groups. So as as kind of the trend of bank assurance that had started some years ago, gather space, uh, the next step for that is with bank with banks with their greater capital uh, uh, effectively merging with or taking over insurance groups. You've seen examples of that uh, all across Africa, and I expect that trend uh, to, to continue. Uh, in relation to the facilitation of M&A, um, you know, it used to be the case that uh, most of this financing would come from outside Africa or from only South Africa. Uh, That's now changing. Uh, As African banks' balance sheets have grown, as the sophistication of their corporate teams has grown, 
African banks, whether it's from Nigeria, whether from Kenya, from Morocco, from Mauritius, from South Africa, uh, are increasingly uh, funding uh, M&A. Of course, local banks fund them in their own countries, but cross-border M&A is funded mainly from those, those countries. It has been helped, of course, by the fact that many of our companies' acts have been recently amended to allow leveraged buyouts uh, and therefore more debt-fueled M&A deals. So those are my five points. I just add one concerning uh, fintech. Um, obviously, it, it, it hardly needs to be said that financial services in Africa are developing in a very interesting and different way from Europe. There's been a lot of leapfrogging in the sense that uh, there's been a move in many cases directly to uh, mobile-based banking, banking uh, very much based on the use of artificial intelligence, particularly when trying to um, lend to SMEs and to individuals. Uh, one shouldn't underestimate the importance of this sort of lending because so much of African business and enterprise is SME-linked. So uh, greater access for SMEs to financing is crucially important. Uh, I think I'll, I'll end there. Thank you. No, thanks, Karim. It's fantastic insights. And I'm going to uh, momentarily turn to Titus to kind of follow up on that that fintech point. I'm interested in diving back in on one of your points, though, is the, the underinsured nature of much of Africa attracting this international um, attention, whereas in the same moment, we're seeing that, that banking exodus uh, continue. Now, I was talking with um, Nigel Boardman just yesterday of Slaughter and May on another other podcast and he referenced Citigroup and their continued kind of reduction in their, their their footprint. So why do you think we're seeing such interest from the international players in the insurance space where Africa's recognized as underinsured, but equally Africa is well recognized as underbanked? So where do you see the inclination for the international players to move into insurance? but not back into the, the banking space? I think the, um, the difference is simply in relation to risk, um, so that uh, with the increased scrutiny, particularly from US regulators, uh, many banks have taken the view, global banks have taken the view that the risk reward out of Africa is simply isn't worth it. Uh, you know, there are now many examples of uh, U.S. regulators imposing very significant fines because of uh, AML uh, or terrorism financing concerns. Uh, and for, for transactions that only had a very tangential connection with the U.S. So I think banks who want to obviously maintain their uh, U.S. dollar coverage have taken the view that these are risks that they would rather not take. The position, I think, is quite different from insurance, in, in insurance, right? Because the risk profile is different, the nature of the transaction is different, and you aren't necessarily sending money through the U.S. banking system uh, on behalf of customers. So I think that, that explains at least part of the difference between banking and insurance. It's very interesting insight. Thanks a lot, though. I wonder, you know, this is me just speculating here, but as we see more and more... African banking uh, capacity, um, liquidity, and, and financing, perhaps some of this uh, will be overcome. 
there will be an, an African solution to to the, the the African issue rather than the sledgehammer of the blacklisting approach uh, that the US seem to have adopted <laughs> uh, thus far getting in the way where you know it's it's well known that that financing and liquidity and and you know being able to bank is an absolute must have for the continent so i think you know a very very interesting scenario to watch play out and r- turning back to titus as as i'd promised uh, on the fintech point uh, it's mentioned a million times a minute in relation to Africa in the press. But what is the UK's involvement in these fintech developments? I mean, for example, are international funders getting more and more active with their engagement with African fintech investment opportunities? And additionally, are there innovations you're seeing from young, high-growth African fintech businesses which you think are potentially replicable in non-African or UK markets? In the fintech space, and certainly the UK-Africa engagement, you know, it is fair to say that the UK has not been passive. They've been fairly active in this space and maybe constructively so. Uh, we know that a couple of years ago, the, the, there was a UK-Africa fintech partnership put in place kind of led by the the DTI announced by the Prime Minister at the time. Uh, and this was to ensure that they there was some kind of collaboration between the UK and the fintech communities in, in Africa. You know, so the the intention was also to use the the city's expertise, the city of London's expertise to support you know, African entrepreneurs in the fintech space, you know, and, and encourage investment. And one of the things also about this partnership, which is I found as a lawyer very important, was the fact that the government was trying to encourage the UK Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, to work with regulators in Africa to share the UK's successful experience of developing regulations and policies that will encourage innovation and protect consumers and, and investors in the fintech space. This is always a challenge in new markets or in markets such as Africa because if we are honest, some of these developments can actually go ahead of the market, ahead of the regulator either. So they could be developing exponentially whereas the laws and the regulations actually developing incrementally and it would be really helpful if the regulators like the FCA that has already experience in in overseeing this and in developing policies to be able to say to your counterparts in Africa and say well this is the kind of things you should be looking at and share that knowledge and share that experience. And they, the African regulator can pick what works for them and what don't work. But it's a better starting place than to start from ground zero. And it's also important that why the entrepreneurs are developing all these products and coming up with these innovations, they just they, they, they're not meant to operate in a vacuum. Okay, so it's important to have regulations that at least some of it have been tried and tested and they look familiar to investors and to consumers. So I think from, from as a lawyer, I found that 
aspect of that partnership very important. You also ask whether there are innovations in the fintech space in Africa that can be transferred or exported to other parts of the world as in the UK and outside of Africa. Well, I think that's a very good question. And I and thank you for asking that question because I think that Africa uh, doesn't really get the credit it deserves for some of the innovations it's come up with um, and some of the things it's done in creating the ecosystems from which some of these products are developed, wherever. So I think an obvious example, obviously they can do that and it has been done already in the past. And an obvious example would be M-Pesa, which right now is the largest purse in the world. <laughs> and um, it was developed in Kenya. The last time I checked, Kenya was in Africa. That's a very obvious example. But there's a less obvious example. Real-time money transfer, the first time I experienced that was in Nigeria. And I'd been living in banking and doing online banking in the UK for decades before that. So I think that Nigeria, if, if it was not the first place where this was done, it would almost certainly have been one of the first places. So there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, not properly nurtured, properly supported, the African tech entrepreneurs who come up with products that would serve humanity wherever. They, they, they develop products that solve problems and to the extent that you have those problems in other parts of the world, then you can use their, their innovations to, to solve those problems. So I just think they need support and I, sometimes they actually need the recognition um, of what they've done and how they've developed some of these products that become global products. Titus, thanks very much for your insights there. And Kareem, look, I know that you and the wider firm are very active in this space. Um, is there any insight that you can additionally add on the, the fintech play, when, especially when it comes to these African businesses having something to export or at least teach international markets? Anything to add? Uh, yes, thanks. Um, look, there are uh, a huge array of exciting new startups uh, in the fintech space, uh, particularly in Nigeria uh, and in Kenya. Uh, some of these are focused on uh, connectivity, so interbank connectivity. Some are focused on remittance. Uh, some are focused on share trading. Uh, others try to link um, SMEs particularly to supply chain and then to financing. Uh, and there's a, there's a, there's a really uh, exciting array of companies that are developing. Now, I'm sure not, many, not all of them will succeed, as is typically the case, but I think the innovations, the thinking, the software platforms that uh, they create um, will have a lasting impact um, kind of in the kind of financial infrastructure. One example for, uh, is a company called Lamy in Kenya that... Um, has looked to digitalize the entire insurance value chain, both from a B2B and a B2C uh, perspective. And I expect a company like that to scale very fast. Now, the link, I think, to the UK is that a lot of, uh, a lot of the, uh, the funding, the venture funding, 
uh, is linked to UK and other international sources. And you are now seeing an increasing number of UK and other venture and related funds now investing actively in African fintech uh, opportunities. And I've got a, a, another shout out for a, a good a good friend of mine uh, uh, who runs a business called Law Basket. Now that is a Zimbabwean startup that's looking at digitizing your ability to access legal services through your insurance provider entirely online. Um, any examples that I see of young, potentially high growth African businesses, you know, across the fintech, the insurance, the legal services space, I'm always going to jump on and shout out. So thanks for giving us a specific example there as well, Corinne. Um, a finishing question, actually, um, is, Kareem, you're a great advocate for the role of financial services in driving forward African economies at a rate that other sectors may not be able to. So what is your key rationale behind such thinking? And I'm thinking especially in the context of the Africa continental free trade area. So look, um, you know, just picking up on a point I made earlier, uh, the funding of SMEs is absolutely essential uh, to Africa's growth. Now, for, many, for, for too long, uh, and, the, and the funding of agriculture, incidentally, now for too long, the banking uh, sector really focused neither on SMEs nor on agribusiness, which effectively meant that a very large part of uh, Af- the African growth story uh, was left underfunded. That's changing. It's changing because I think banks have understood risk better, is changing because the nature of the funders has changed. So you have a large number of non-bank funders uh, who have entered the space. It's changing because the analytics using uh, AI uh, and big data means that understanding the risk related to SMEs has become a lot um, easier and more transparent. Uh, and it's changing because I think the, the agricultural value chain is getting more sophisticated. And so banks are now uh, more comfortable funding agribusiness. Uh, many countries, for example, now have warehouse receipt systems uh, that allow for stock to be more easily tracked. Um, so, 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 so my big push around financial services is really um, in connection with the funding of SMEs and the funding of um, agribusiness. It's a point on the agribusiness is I was just having this same conversation with, um, again, a, 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 another Zimbabwean, you know, with a, a highly agrarian society. And we were laughing, saying, look, everyone thinks about African agriculture as, you know, a step backwards. But if you've seen the kind of technology that is being deployed and implemented and created by African entrepreneurs in relation to Afrobusiness, there is nothing low tech about agriculture in Africa right now. No, absolutely. I mean, you only need to look at a company like Twiga Foods uh, and what it's done to the agricultural value chain. Absolutely transformative, and it has raised you know uh, tons of money now uh, on the back of its uh, on the back of its business plans. I, I think the you know the, the key point really is that no no economy any, anywhere in the world has developed and without access to affordable debt. Um, to spur key parts of their economy, right? It just hasn't happened. And for too long, Africa has had too little debt available to key sectors in its economy, and that is now beginning to change. Um, So far as the AFC FTA is concerned, 
you know, it's worth noting that, of course, we're a long way away still from passporting regimes, right? So um, it, it won't be a, it won't be a while until you know a Zimbabwean bank can set up in say Zambia with minimal or no regulatory uh, friction. I think you know we're a long way away from that. I think the real opportunity is really just in terms of the uh, open up, opening up of the markets in the movement of goods. Um, you know I, I focus here not just on the AFC FTA but also the other regional trade blocks. Uh, and certainly what we have seen is that um, banks are increasingly following their clients. So as their clients find it easier to trade cross-border, export finished goods, uh, and so on, banks know that they need to support those um, uh, that export-driven growth through having presences in key markets. So I think the AFC FTA will uh, herald uh, the start of truly pan-African banking and pan-African financial services and spur um, the kind of developments that, as I mentioned earlier, have already begun a few years ago. And I think it's a blend of the bank and non-bank funders, which are finally going to be allowing us to catch up with the potential. You know, Africa has never been short when it comes to generating ideas and products and services i think the greatest single bottleneck that we've ever seen is as you've said a, a lack of access to funding particularly a lack of ex access to debt funding um, and that seems to be changing it's not going to be overnight but i think we are seeing positive development so um you know i'm i'm another uh, uh, sharer of your positivity when it comes to the the future of of decent accessible access to capital so gentlemen that does bring us to time um and i would like to say a very big thank you for for joining me today it's been a very very engaging conversation and as always a very big thank you to all of our listeners and if you're new to the africa legal podcast don't forget you can peruse our entire back catalog across all major podcast channels such as soundcloud spotify or Apple Podcasts. And again, if you enjoyed what you've heard here, heard here today, make sure you join us at the UK Africa Legal Services Spring Conference on the 22nd of April, where Kareem and Titus will once again be enlightening us with their perspectives, their expertise, and their insight via one of the sessions, which is going to be hosted online. And to register for that event, simply follow the link in the podcast description. So without further ado, this is Tom Pearson signing off for the Africa Legal Podcast. <laughs>